0: Do you know this? No, I don't know this. If this was set in New Orleans, I'd be like, our podcast is over. This is your (laughs) book. We're done. Go buy it today. (laughs) Hey, readers. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. First, I want to tell you that the My Reading Life book journal is back in stock wherever you like to buy your new books. Friends, I didn't even realize it was out of stock until I heard it from you. So thanks as always for letting me know what your experience in the literary marketplace is like. You can order your copy of My Reading Life from big box retailers like Target or Amazon. You can grab it on bookshop.org or purchase a copy from your favorite independent bookstore. You can always order a signed copy from my local independent bookstore, that's Carmichael's bookstore, here in Louisville, Kentucky, that not only goes for the My Reading Life book journal, but also the My Reading Adventures kids journal, my essay collection I'd rather be reading, and helpful and entertaining nonfiction books, Don't Overthink It, and Reading People, which is all about personality typing. Buying these books supports the work of the show and sustains my work as a creator, so thank you so much for your purchase. Now for today's episode, our guest Caitlin Moran shared a common reading dilemma in her submission form. She is eager to expand her identity as a reader, but isn't sure where to start when it comes to unfamiliar genres. Caitlin enjoys reading along with her book club and finding new titles at her favorite indie bookstores in the Pacific Northwest, where she lives with her fiancé and works as a therapist. In fact, it's that book club experience that has really piqued her curiosity. Several titles have unexpectedly delighted Caitlin, and now she's curious what else might be out there that she will also love. Caitlin would love my help finding non-intimidating recommendations that serve as easy entry points for genres she doesn't typically read, like science fiction and fantasy, as well as genres where she's just begun to explore, like historical fiction. Our conversation also leads us to explore spooky books and titles set in New Orleans for reasons you will hear. Those are two themes I expect many of you will love. I'm so excited to share recommendations that will support Caitlin's quest, and I can't wait for you to listen in on this wonderful conversation. Let's get to it. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I've been looking forward to this. And thank you so much for submitting at our guest submission form at what should I read next slash guest. Our team was really excited about what you told us. And I'm so excited our listeners get to hear all about your reading life today. That is so good to
1: hear. I never anticipated that my submission would be picked. So it's really cool to be here.
0: Oh, it's a question of timing. And um, I was going to say fate, but can I say that to a therapist? <laughs> Sure. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Caitlin, on that note, tell us a little bit about yourself so we can give our readers a glimpse of who
1: you are. I am a therapist. I'm working out of Vancouver, Washington. I've been doing that for about three years. It is awesome. I'm originally from California and gosh, throughout the pandemic was originally in Portland. And then I moved to Texas. And then I moved to Vancouver, Washington. So I feel like I've been floating from state to state for a few years now. Fortunately, therapy sessions can be done on Zoom because that has definitely been my life through the pandemic.
0: (laughs) And even still now. Oh, that was my commiseration laugh. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. We know what that is like. Many of us. Including the online therapy part, which I have to admit, I mean, I was going to say it isn't my favorite, but how does that strike you? Is that hard to hear? Or is that just like, oh, Anne, I know it. Oh,
1: it's completely affirming because I feel the same way. I am glad it exists for accessibility reasons. So glad. I have seen it be so helpful, but it's not quite the same as holding space with someone in a room, like this confined, calming, tranquil environment. I love that. That's like
0: magical to me, but I do appreciate Zoom for the accessibility. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. I I definitely want to keep Zoom. I'm glad it's an option. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'd rather be on your couch than on your screen. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Does that feel a little bit like what we're
1: doing today? You know, it it actually does. And this was something I would tell my fiance. I would say, what should I read next always strikes me as a therapy session in the best possible way. Because, Anne, I don't know if anyone has told you this, but you have a therapist voice, which is a compliment it's very calming and very soothing. And when we look at the, just the format of your show, I see you helping readers identify their reading identities, if that's making sense. You're using summary statements, reflective listening. You're addressing themes. Like, these are the themes I'm seeing you like. And then I get to hear your guests say, oh, I guess those are the themes I'm drawn to. Or, oh, I didn't realize that about myself. So I feel like you're really helping readers with their reader identities. And that feels very therapisty
0: to me. You know, I considered going to therapy school when I was 22. You did. Oh, my gosh. I did. I really did. But here I am. You know what? You're,
1: you're doing a different kind of therapy. And that is <laughs> a blessing to us all.
0: I feel like that's something you can say as a therapy professional, and I cannot as a bibliotherapy (laughs) hack. But thank you. I appreciate that. Caitlin, now tell me a little bit about your reading life. So I'm a long-term lover of
1: books and reading and bookstores and libraries and everything that encompasses that. But I am a little bit of a seasonal reader in terms of I've gone through dry spells that maybe lasted years, but the love was still there. It just wasn't prioritized. And I kind of feel like a new reader as a result, where I'm reading the most consistently I have ever read, which is a- incredibly exciting, but I still feel a little, a little new
0: to being someone who reads for,
1: for sport with frequency. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so funny. I often say reading is not a competitive sport. And yet reading for sport, I totally understand what you're conveying there. (laughs) So it sounds like this is a transition you've made in your life in recent years.
1: Yeah, I definitely think this stemmed out of the pandemic because at that time I was living in Texas. My mom and sister were in California. We were not getting together. And you know, the phone calls were great, but I, I feel like we needed something more, and thus a three-person book club was born. And I think that was sort of the starting point for me being a much more active reader was just having that accountability of, I need to have this read by by book club day at the end of the month. I'm really thankful for it because my reading life has really changed because we started that book club. I'm so glad. What was the first book you all read together? Uh, it was a Ellen Hildebrand book, 28 Summers. That was our first pick.
0: Well, there is certainly plenty to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm thinking about talking about 28 Summers with my mom.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. It's actually it's really funny to have conversations with my mom when a book has maybe a lot of intimate details, so to speak. Those are <laughs> funny conversations.
0: <laughs> huh. I'm so glad that got you going again. So find solace in in books like you did in your past. Caitlin, I would love to hear you talk about being a slow reader. And first of all, I want to thank you for identifying yourself as such on our submissions. Something that I'm always dismayed to hear from readers is that they feel apologetic for being a slow reader. But I really think like I have big feet and blue eyes and I can't change those things. And your reading speed, I think, is also very much the same way. And I think we just can't say this enough on the show. So handing the mic over to you, take it away. So being a slow reader is, I think the only frustration
1: with it for me is that I can't get to more good content fast enough. And there's that part of me that worries that I'm going to set this book down because that's part of what makes me slow is not just my reading speed, but setting it down. So part of the concern I have is if I set this down for too long, it's going to disappear. The book will fall under the bed i, I won 't pick it up again, and <laughs> literally disappear totally totally so it's it 's really it's a it 's a two pronged slowness. I am a slow actual reader, and i i just i lose books, and i got to tell you, there have been books that I have like loved or was loving, lost the book in the trunk of my car, and there goes that and to this day i haven 't finished them, so part of what I would like to do is just build a little more consistency in terms of I am picking the book up frequently and maybe I'm only reading two pages. It doesn't have to be a 50-page sprint for it to be Mm -hmm. meaningful.
0: Because you mentioned that you're terrified of putting it down. But putting it down doesn't slow you down. It's the not picking it back up. Yeah. It's the putting it down
1: and then a whole bunch of laundry gets piled on top of it. (laughs) it's almost like out of sight, out of mind, which, which is so not fair. And another piece of that too, is if I don't bookmark it, that stresses me out. So I almost find that I start to avoid a book if I don't know where I am in the book, because then it's like, what if I open it up to the the wrong page? I see some sort of spoiler because I'm just trying to make my way back to where I was. So I have found that that also makes me avoid reading is when I'm like, when it's not dog-eared, when it's not, you know, bookmarked. Yeah.
0: So what are some things you found effective to get you to pick up the book again and to get you to feel like you're oriented and you're ready to go, you're ready to read? Having a clean nightstand. Oh, that's so interesting because that's not directly reading related. It's reading adjacent. And yet, Mm -hmm. tell me more about how this works for you. Having a, like, just a clear visual to the book i
1: am reading like the beautiful you know jacket cover of it that's really inviting in a way that it being you know tossed around or under the bed is not so if i can keep that clean and have here's the spot for the book that is really effective another thing that i think is effective for me and i don't want it to be but is reading on like the kindle on my phone which is absolutely fine that's effective for me because that book is always there and the, 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 you know, the spot is always saved where, in terms of where I am in the book. But the trouble I have with that is that I really love having physical copies of books because they're so beautiful and they feel like friends. So I, I'm struggling to, to go the Kindle route, even though that's probably going to be more reliable for
0: me to have that book. Oh, that's so interesting to me that you know this works and you don't. Want it to.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: What do you tell yourself to make yourself feel better about that, that hard truth? Well, so I kind of compromise with it
1: and I will read on Kindle when it's not a book I'm very excited about. And sometimes I end up loving that book, surprisingly. But I struggle to get books that I am very enthused about on a Kindle platform because I'm like, I just have to have you on the shelf. Or on the nightstand.
0: Okay. So you're going to keep a clean nightstand. Mm -hmm. And I really like that you've noticed that sometimes the books you read on Kindle that you don't anticipate loving have turned out to be big hits for you. Because I would hate to see reading become less desirable because you've chosen a format you know works, but books that you don't think are going to work as well. Exactly. Okay.
1: And I, I told myself, too, like, if I want to be extra exorbitant, like, let's say I read a book on Kindle, ended up loving it. If I really need that book as a friend on my shelf, then I can just buy that book. And that, you know, probably wouldn't happen all the time. But it does comfort me to say, if you need a hard copy of that book after you finish it on Kindle,
0: you can get a hard copy of that book. That's fine. You can. You have options. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you like to have options. You remind yourself you have options and that works for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, I like it. Oh, thank you for sharing your hard-won wisdom with us here. See, you say that you're new to reading for sport and yet you have so much to share and so much insight you've already gleaned about yourself. I guess that's true, yeah. Caitlin, you mentioned being a somewhat seasonal reader. Would you tell me more about that as well? Seasonal
1: reading for me if I'm not thinking about it like there are dry spells for me, if I'm thinking about the other kind of seasonal reading, I like to read to match the environment. So let's just say fall for me, October for me, I like to read mysteries, thrillers, things that feel brooding, things that feel like crisp bottom air. I love that because to me, that's just amplifying the environment around me. And I like I like that a lot. Same with uh, winter. Like, that's when I want to read a Christmas read. Like, maybe that's a little cliche, but it's magical. Another thing that I really like to do is if I'm going to travel somewhere, I love to find a book that is set in the place that I'm going to be traveling to. For me, it just heightens that anticipation. And the next place I'm going is I'm going to be in New Orleans in October. And right now I'm still kind of mulling on what could be the New Orleans read? What is going to get me hyped about being in that city? So that would be something that I'm actively
0: considering right now. Do you want to say more about your trip? Because you told us about this in your submission. I do. I got engaged last summer and we...
1: My partner and I, her name is Leslie, she is wonderful. We decided to elope because we're we're kind of introverted. We, we don't really want the big wedding and the dance and that's all like fine and wonderful for others. We would struggle with it. So for us eloping was spot on, just a small elopement with family and we chose New Orleans because we are spooky girls. We love travel. We love history. We love ghost stories. We love haunted places. I I feel so silly saying that, but we love that kind of thing. So, New Orleans. Do
0: you? I'm grinning
1: so big right now. Oh, uh, yeah. I love it. Love haunted things. I think Kentucky, doesn't that have Waverly Sanatorium? Is that what it's called?
0: Yes. But the only thing we ever go there for is, oh, Caitlin, this is going to be so. Disappointing. Huh. The mountain bike trail. That sounds magical
1: in its own right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I love that from the Pacific Northwest, you knew that about Kentucky.
1: And I really got the name right.
0: You did. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm impressed. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, New Orleans is filled with that kind of thing. And w- something that we joke about together is that there's nothing more romantic for us than than a haunted house experience, whether it's, <laughs> you know, um, a, a Halloween haunted house or whether it's a, a site that's, you know, allegedly haunted. I know not everyone buys into that, but it's just it's fun. So we're kind of excited to spend a week there and not only have this wonderful ceremony, but also just get to explore those surroundings. And we're gonna tote both of our families there and they can watch us geek out
0: on how magical like this <laughs> spooky spot is. And celebrate a different aspect of love. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Thank you for telling us about your elopement and your trip. And oh gosh, I know that somebody listening right now is thinking, Caitlin, I have the perfect haunted house spooky New Orleans read. That has not come to me yet. Maybe it will by the time we get to that section. But I really, I really want you to get that from the universe. You said that you'd like to find a New Orleans read. Does that mean you haven't really investigated yet? I really haven't yet. Oh, that's good news for me.
1: <laughs> it's it's on my to-do list. And I will even say it doesn't even have to be spooky setting alone will get me excited. So, you know, the world is your oyster in terms of New
0: Orleans reads. Well, we are going to lean into that shortly. But first, we're going to talk about your books. Are you ready to talk about what you love? Yes, I am. Caitlin, well, I'm so excited. You know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we're going to find some picks that are right for your reading life right now, and I think for your reading life come October as well. How did you choose these? Hmm. It was hard. It was hard to choose. And I considered
1: books that have just stayed with me for a long time, books that I find memorable. One of these has been with me since I was probably 15, and I'm in my 30s now. So
0: it stood the test of time. Well, I'm so intrigued to find out what that book is that stuck with you for, I mean, we're talking about half your life, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Excellent. You have to tell us which one it is. Caitlin, tell me about the first book you love.
1: So the first book that I love has not been with me for half my life, but it has been with me for close to 10 years. And this book was easy pick for me because it might be my favorite book to this day. And it is The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth. I love this book so much. This is a young adult novel, which is really not my genre. But this one reads with such sophistication, and I, I love it. So it's basically a coming-of-age story about a 12-year-old who's coming to terms with her sexuality in rural Montana in the 1990s. And the setting I love, like I never knew I was interested in Montana until I read this. And the author just conjures that place so beautifully, so descriptively. And I loved that part of it. And the other thing that really excites me about this book is it being 90s. I love anything that's a throwback to the 90s. So this was just like such a cool read to read a coming of age novel in the 1990s when I would have been coming of age. And it being about this girl coming to terms with being gay in a a pretty unhospitable environment. So relatable and so beautiful. And I think this book found me at just the right time because at the time I found it, I was probably like, I don't know, early 20s or something like that. And I had just had a breakup and I was lonely and vulnerable and I needed a friend. And this book became my friend and it was everything that I needed. And when I think about young adult novels, this kind of cracks me up. I feel like I have gravitated to young adult novels in my adult life when I've had a breakup. And it might be because when I've had a breakup, I feel angsty and and almost like a teen again. And so this book hit me right at the point where I was like nice and emotional, and I have loved it ever since. I read it in print from the library and got it on Audible, and now I probably listen to it once every couple of years.
0: Oh, wow. I'm so glad that this book came into your life at exactly the right time, and it's so interesting to hear you reflect on your relationship with YA novels. One of my favorite descriptions of YA books on the podcast is quite old. It's from Preston Yancey in one of our very early, I think it's one of the first 10 episodes from February 2016. But he talks about how he's quite eloquent and humorous. Like, I remember him cracking me up. But I remember him saying basically, like, in YA novels, like, you are feeling all the feelings. And he was describing a specific kind of YA novels and riffing on one of his favorites. Because um, we're not going to put like YA as a category in this box, but like all the big feels was the thing he was there for. And what you were describing just now about when you come to YA books just brought that conversation rushing back to mind. Oh, completely.
1: Completely. I think it just speaks to just that, like, being in that super emotional state. And there's something so satisfying about reading something that just conjures all of the feels. So relatable. And I definitely think that that would be, I imagine, present in many a YA novel.
0: Yes. And for you then, and since, it's been The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth. Caitlin, I have to ask, have you read her 2020 novel, Plain Bad Heroines? No, but the title excites me. I haven't even looked into it, but just
1: that title alone has stood out to me.
0: Oh, Caitlin. It's spooky. Do you know this? No, I don't know this. If this was set in New Orleans, I'd be like, our podcast is over. This is your book. (laughs) We're done. Go buy it today. (laughs) Cancel your appointments. But this book is set 100 years ago at the Brook Haunts not spelled like a haunting, but you're supposed to read it as one. School for Girls. I think it's in New England, but do not hold me to this. But there are two girl students at the school. They are deeply in love and they are obsessed with a writer who wrote a scandalous best-selling memoir that these girls take very seriously. But when they have a rendezvous in the apple orchard nearby, things go terribly, horribly wrong back in 1902. And the place has been haunted ever since. So... A hundred years later, three women are brought together to make a film about all the ghostly happenings that have taken place at Brookhaunts. And things, once again, go horribly wrong because, of course, the place is haunted. Who is in any doubt? There is a recurring motif of Yellow Jackets that is seriously, seriously spooky. I think this could totally be a horror novel for wimps and scaredy cats because I am (laughs) definitely um, in that group. It's more like spooky than scary. It, It has horror elements. I mean, this is not like reading It or The Shining. But since you loved her debut and you love spooky stuff, you need to know about this. And I have to tell you, I straight up have goosebumps
1: right now because that sounds magical. Like, no pun intended. That sounds totally magical. And I feel silly that I never looked into that novel. Like, I never—I loved her debut, And how did I not go to book two? Because that sounds honestly phenomenal. So I'm excited about that.
0: I'm so glad. And I just want to say, you don't know what you don't know. And she's only written two books, and they came out in 2012 and 2020, a long way apart. And how many books that came out in 2020 completely missed our radars collectively? That is a good point. I'm here. I got you, Caitlin. It's good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Anne something else that is incredibly meaningful to me about the miseducation of Cameron Post is that my fiance got me that for a Christmas present. Now I already had a copy of the book so I didn't need a copy of the book, but what she did was she contacted the author. I don't know how she did this and was basically like, "Hey, like you wrote my my potential girlfriend's favorite book and I need a Christmas present." Would you sign a copy for her? And it would mean so much to me. I'll pay whatever it takes. Can we make this happen? And the time frame that my fiance did this in is is kind of impressive. And on Christmas morning, I'm opening this gift from her. And it is a signed copy from Emily M. Danforth. And she wrote the sweetest message inside. And she had said to Leslie, let me know how it all works out. And so we still need to update her. It's worked out very well. We are going to get married. So I, I might even send this episode to the author and be like, yep, thank you so much for signing that book for Leslie and me all those years ago, back in 2018. We made it. So I have that copy of the book right here. And it's just, it's so sweet to see that message handwritten inside from her.
0: Oh, I love that so much. Oh my goodness. Okay. We all know Emily M. Danforth wants to hear that story. Oh, totally. I hope it delights her. (laughs) It has to. She writes about healing. She doesn't have a heart of stone. Thank you, Emily. (laughs) Caitlin, tell me about the second book you
1: love. Yes. Okay. So the second book that I love is The Rumor by Ellen Hildebrand. And let me just say, when I was younger, I think I probably would have looked at beach reads and judged them. Which is so silly because beach reads are wonderful. And I love Ellen Hildebrand and I have read a great many of her novels, which honestly, there's not many authors I can say that I've read multiples of their books, which is maybe a little unusual. But my mom, sister, and I love her books. So they are, most of them, if not all of them, are set in Nantucket. They have, like, a very um, small island feel, and the rumor is just this delicious story about, I mean, the title says it all. It's about, you know, two women and a little bit of scandal and some rumors and island life and those small kind of gossipy small-town communities. I just loved it. It was fun, and I feel like Ellen Hildebrand writes with such descriptive language— to me, it's a perfect escape read, and she brings that island to life for me so much so that my mom and sister and I are planning to go there to go to Nantucket for my mom's seventieth next year. Are you really? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's so fun. So another example, right, of of, of travel paired with like a book and its setting.
0: That sounds amazing. What I remember about this story, because, you know, I'm bringing my own set of experiences to this. It's about a writer with writer's block. And that's something I really enjoy reading about. And she gets out of it by writing the story of her best friend's scandalous affair with the gardener. And, <laughs> oh, it's just so fun. Um, I have to tell you that in Ellen Hildebrand's new book that at the time this airs will have come out just days, maybe a week or two prior, It's called The Five Star Weekend, which is not a reference to the Hotel Nantucket that was after the five key reviews. This is about the stars represent great friends from each season of A Woman's Life, and they all get together on Nantucket. But there's this one scene in a Nantucket bookstore that just made me chuckle because two of the Friends who are gathered for this weekend are shopping, and one of them is a serious reader and the other is not. And there's a big discussion about one friend judging the other for buying a book with a turquoise blue cover by a local Nantucket author that we know is Ellen Hoderbrand, (laughs) obviously. And the literary friend is like, that's not any good. And it's just, it's really funny. But I will say the Wallace Stegner quote that I've said a zillion times on this podcast is from Crossing to Safety. Hard writing makes for easy reading. And how fun to have a book that you and your mom and your sister could all enjoy and talk about and then take a trip because of together. Oh, absolutely. And we read her, her summer novel
1: every year. So this will be the third year in a row where we will read her book in July. So I I guess her books come out in June. So this is our 3rd July where we're reading her latest book. And so we will be reading The Five Star Weekend. And it is just, it's very exciting because honestly, when I reflect back to how this book club started, it started because we needed an outlet, right? We needed a way to visit, but we also like the first conversation was, hey, we all noticed that we love Ellen Hildebrand. We're all reading this one book at about the same time. Let's, let's go for it. So in a sense, Ellen sort of started this book club for us because we all happened to really have <laughs> our hands on that copy of 28 Summers back in the day.
0: Oh, thanks, Ellen. I love it. I, I will tell you in advance, though, unlike last year, this year's book, no, no spookiness, no ghost narrator, no oh, yeah. supernatural. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a-okay. It's funny because my, my mom like deplores fantastical or spooky or, or that kind of thing. That is not her jam. So it always kind of cracks me up when Ellen does have some sort of a ghost narrator because she's done it a couple times and my mom does end up enjoying it. And I'm like, see, like you do like a little bit of magical realism. You can handle a bit of fantasy.
0: Well, I'm glad that those novels have compelled her to branch out gently. Exactly, And that you all got to enjoy them together And that you could have a good laugh Not at all at your mother's expense Exactly (laughs) Caitlin, tell me about the third book that you love Okay,
1: so this is the book That I have loved for about half of my life And I have read it exactly once It is White Olander by Janet Fitch I love this novel so much And the reason I read it if I had to guess and I think I'm right was because I had seen the movie and loved the movie and the book was phenomenal. So she writes just such descriptive, lyrical, almost flowery kind of language that I Absolutely love it, just reads like poetry. And I marvel at the fact that she can write like this so poetically at the same time as she moves a plot forward. So I didn't really feel like it was slow or I was getting lost in these, you know, overwhelming, you know, descriptions that go on for pages and pages and pages. Instead, I just felt like she was lacing this plot with so much just analogy and metaphor and just, I guess, the prose absolutely moved me. And I don't know if I've read a book that has struck me like that
0: since. Caitlin, I'm noticing that all your books have a strong sense of place and really vivid descriptions that let you visualize them in your mind so easily. Is that a theme? You know, that's funny because I did not identify that as
1: a theme when I've self-reflected. That is totally a theme. I like a well-painted place.
0: Ooh. I love the way you describe that, a well-painted place. We will keep that in mind as we move forward. Caitlin, tell me about a book that was not right for you. The book that was not right for
1: me was The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. I really wanted to love this book because the premise on the book jacket just sounded perfect for me, right up my alley. So this was my mom's pick for book club. And when she read the the premise to us, I was so excited, and then I dove right on in, and I just found the the whole thing just bleak, like it felt bleak and dark and traumatic, with nothing that really, for me at least, nothing that really tempered that bleakness and. I can handle heavy topics. Heavy topics do not bother me, but this just felt like a lot. And there was no character that I was rooting for or that I particularly liked. And when I finished reading it, I just felt like I needed some validation. So I went on to Amazon or what have you, and I was reading one star reviews because I just wanted to get a sense of why do people maybe not love this one? And one person had described it as portentous. I didn't even know what that word meant. I looked it up, essentially meaning um, done in an overly solemn manner so as to impress. And that's how I felt about this book. And I will say, I can appreciate why someone would love this. I can totally see why this would be up someone's alley. It just wasn't
0: up mine. It was just too grim, I will say this is a book that I also didn't finish. And I, I think I listened to it before it came out. It would have been summer of 2021. And maybe I could do it now. But there's a lot of sexual abuse in this book. And I, when I got to the first instance, I was like, oh, I can't do this now. Totally. This section of the show is always about a book that doesn't align with your taste, needs, interests. Not about a book that is poorly written. And so it's interesting to see how this was not right for you, even though the description made it sound like it could be wonderful. I mean, it's it's all about relationships and a legacy passed through generations. But, oh, it's a hard legacy.
1: Oh, completely. And, you know, it makes sense to me why this would really strike someone. And I think it was well-written, too. It just, themes-wise, wasn't quite right for me.
0: Wasn't quite right. Caitlin, what have you been reading lately?
1: I just finished *The Cartographers* by Pung Shepherd and really liked it. I read that for a, a separate book club, and it was it was really great. It had a magical realism quality to it that I really like, and it was a fun mystery. And it wasn't my favorite of all time, but it really fit the bill for what I was looking for. And I also just finished for a separate book club. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus and loved that one. Absolutely, absolutely loved that one. I thought it was quirky and fun. And I I do notice that that's a a feel that I like in my books sometimes is that they're quirky and fun.
0: I love it. Caitlin, what are you looking for in your reading life right now? Aside from New Orleans picks, because we're going to bring those for sure. (laughs) I am looking
1: for, I would say either books that I already like, right? Like books that already have the feel that I love or like gentle launches into genres I'm not as comfortable with. So essentially what I'm telling you is I'm very open but wouldn't mind a nudge in the direction of something that I'm just not familiar with.
0: What are some of those genres that you're intrigued by but that do feel very unfamiliar to you right now? I would say... Science fiction and
1: fantasy, they're genres that I have a like no experience in at all, but I'm pretty interested in. And it's a little confusing to me why I'm interested in those genres, because I, I find them kind of hard to read, honestly, and it's hard for me to suspend uh, reality and kind of go to this other world. But I want to. Like, I want to go to another world. I just don't have the skill set, I think, to pick out the book that's going to take me there. Another genre that I have recently discovered that I do really like is historical fiction. And we in our book club had a few picks that would fall under that category. And I found myself really loving them. And, and I think that's in part because it almost feels like a deeper escape to me, because I do read to escape. It feels like a deeper escape when I'm going to this other time where things just do not feel familiar. So anything in the historical fiction genre would really speak to me, but I don't quite feel like I know what to choose. And then literary fiction, I definitely feel intimidated by. And I think there's that part of me that wants to read more literary fiction to feel very, like, accomplished and, and intellectual. But I, I do really want to explore that genre. And I, I'm to be honest with you, I don't even totally know what kind of books fall into that genre. But I know that that genre tends to be more character-driven. And I do like a good character. So I, I would not mind learning more about literary fiction.
0: Oh, I love this. We have so much to work with. We could talk about books you may enjoy reading for days. We're not going to. <laughs> Caitlin, the books you loved, we're going to revisit them real quick. The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth, The Rumor by Ellen Hildebrand, and White Oleander by Janet Fitch. The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller was not right for you. It was, in your word, bleak. And that was not a vibe that you're looking for at this point in your reading life. Lately, The Cartographers by Pung Shepard, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I'm remembering the words quirky. I'm remembering how you said in your submission that now you have a new appreciation for maps after reading The <laughs> Cartographers. And you're looking for this gentle introduction to genres that you haven't been as comfortable with in the past. And of course, you're eloping to New Orleans in October. We're going to keep all these things in mind. And where are we going to start I just want to note that we've already talked about Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. I think that's an excellent place for you to start. Oh, there's so much we could get into. The Miseducation of Cameron Post makes me think of a couple of books that I wonder if you would enjoy. Um, God's Prayer of the Girls by Kelsey McKinney. The Book of Essie by Megan McLean Weir. But those aren't the ones I want to focus on today. <laughs> First, I want to tell you about my favorite New Orleans book, which is, I don't know, it feels like kind of out there. You haven't talked about mysteries and thrillers. What's your relationship with mysteries and thrillers? And
1: I love mysteries and thrillers. Honestly, that's probably the genre I know best. I would love a recommendation in that genre. And it's to me, that's just super easy reading and it's fun. I love, love a mystery. All
0: about it. All right. This isn't the the hesitation that's me feeling like I might be judged. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I love The Pelican Brief by John Grisham so much. Have you read this one? No, I have not. It's old. It's old. It's his third book, immediate follow-up to The Firm. It came out forever ago. Oh my gosh, you love a 90s throwback vibe? Uh-huh. Yes, I do. Oh, hey, I was thinking this isn't like modern contemporary right now, New Orleans, but that's okay. We're going to throw you back to 90s New Orleans. This is, you know, if this were published today, we might call it an eco-thriller. So the book opens in gripping fashion. Two members of the sitting U.S. Supreme Court are brutally murdered. Meanwhile, in New Orleans, Darby Shaw is a Tulane law student who wants to impress her professor who she happens to be dating, So when she finds out that they were murdered, she starts investigating. She wants to find out, like, what in the world? That's weird. That's specific. That's directed. What is happening? And she writes this this paper, like, kind of saying, hey, what if? She writes a paper that explores a theory, and it's called the Pelican Brief. And she says, I think somebody is trying to seat the court with justices who might be inclined to vote a specific way on this one particular case that's brewing in the Louisiana State Court right now and next thing she knows people are dying in New Orleans connected to her brief and it's a big chase it's a legal thriller that involves scenes of people just running through the streets of the French Quarter trying to dodge the bad guys and you know what i'm not going to tell you how it ends i'm not going <laughs> to tell you how it ends but i think it could be i think it could be a fun ride does that interest you that interests
1: me so much i love a 90s thriller in terms of movie genres absolutely love going back in time to the 90s like this is a great idea Anne, am and i'm totally interested
0: i'm happy to hear that if you wanted a more contemporary new orleans mystery november road by lou burney could be a good pick for you do you know this one i haven't heard of this one You know, I was thinking of it as mystery, so I almost didn't want to mention it because you love mysteries, you read mysteries, you're comfortable with mysteries, but this is also historical. It's set against the backdrop of the JFK assassination. It's a cat and mouse crime novel. It's got a noir feel. The characters (laughs) are mostly terrible people doing truly terrible things. It's about organized crime, but, oh, it has such lush descriptions. Bernie does such a great job of painting his places in this story. I think you could really enjoy this one. It's grisly in places. It's not bleak, but it's grisly. You should know that going in. Oh, I think that sounds good. I think that sounds really, really good. And I
1: love that there's a historical bend to it. This sounds spot on.
0: I'm happy to hear it. Okay. I want to give you a sci-fi book that could be a gentle introduction, perhaps. This is from the 2023 Summer Reading Guide. It is The Road to Roswell by Connie Willis. And it's not out quite yet, I don't believe. Is this one you? What does that gasp mean?
1: Oh, I want to go to Roswell so bad. (laughs) (laughs) This is very exciting to me.
0: (laughs) I'm happy to hear it. So this story opens with a wedding, in a sense. The bride's best friend gets on a plane to fly to Roswell, New Mexico, so she can be maid of honor in her wedding. And the best friend isn't super keen on the fact that the wedding is taking place in Roswell. The fiancé is way into all the happenings at Roswell. Like, this is a destination wedding for a reason. It's his thing. It's not hers. And the bestie, who's going to be the maid of honor, she's not exactly supportive about about the Roswell thing. But of course, she's going to go stand up for her friend. So... She gets to the airport. She realizes, oh, there's like a big Roswell convention happening focused on extraterrestrial life. And she's not real pumped about that either. You know, all those weirdos who are into these weird things and how can they believe that? And then she gets in her rental car, and she buckles her seatbelt, and she looks to the passenger seat, and there's an alien, shaped like a tumbleweed, uh, who <laughs> kidnaps her and takes her on a wild ride through New Mexico. Along the way, they pick up an interesting cast of characters with outsized personalities. This is the kind of book that I was like reading in the couch in my family room going, <gasps> You guys, listen to what the tumbleweed-shaped alien is doing now. Like, you guys, listen to this ridiculous thing that's just <laughs> happening in my book. Like, oh my, ah, listen to, the, you know, it's just like, it's so delightfully zany and bonkers. And you want to go to Roswell. I mean, how does this sound to you? This sounds like so much fun, and I feel like it's capturing
1: that part of me that wants to delve into sci-fi, and I feel like it's also capturing that part of me that loves things, that lean quirky and a little whimsical. This sounds like a blast.
0: Quirky and whimsical are excellent descriptions for this book, and I'm glad it sounds like a blast. I think it could be a really fun ride for you. Oh gosh, we have so many books to talk about. Let's do a couple quick hits on exploring those new genres, and we're going to get New Orleans at the same time. Okay. For literary, I really like Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward for you. This is a hard book, but I think, I think the tone could feel right to you and not portentous. It's a National Book Award winner if you care about such things, and it follows a Mississippi family that is living in dire poverty during the 12 days leading up to Hurricane Katrina and its aftermath. There's a 14-year-old narrator, her name is Esh. She is pregnant. She tells us the story and she does so using the outlines of the Greek myth of Jason and Medea, which you can enjoy the story not knowing that at all, but it's like a little... You want, you want to explore some literary fiction, and that is a super literary thing to do. And the prose is so beautiful. You referenced really liking the way that the words fell in White Oleander. I think you'll find that here. So this is a hard book. Like, it's painful, it's gritty, but it is not without hope, which is something that's important to a lot of readers. Also, I know you said that YA isn't usually your genre, but I've noticed that you have—and I wouldn't call this a YA novel, though it is an Alex Award winner That's the award from the ALA that recognizes adult books that are of particular interest to teens. But two of your three favorites featured teen protagonists and narrators, so I'm just noting that for the record. I think this could be a good fit for you. That's Selfish the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. Next, I want to try a historical novel. We mentioned November Road and how it is set in the past, but I want to do something set specifically in the French Quarter. And that is Out of the Easy by Ruta Zepetis. Is that a book you're familiar with? No. Well, Entertainment Weekly calls this a haunting peek at the life of a teenage girl in 1950s New Orleans. At the center of the story is a girl who is 17 when we meet her, who, I mean, she lives and works in a bookshop. She's smart. She has big dreams. She wants to go places, starting with college. She's torn between two intriguing and very different men You can hear that we have some historical detail, some romance, but then a murder takes place and it seems her mother might be implicated and that brings in a mystery thread. This is set largely in the French Quarter. Her mother, the one who's implicated in the murder, lives there in a brothel. She's described as a prostitute. I think you're really going to love the strong cast of characters and the, I was going to say sweeping view, but maybe it's a very specific view of this certain place and time. How does that sound? That sounds riveting. Okay, I'm excited about that. And because you love the cartographers, I just have to throw in the thread collectors. This is by Shauna J. Edwards, who is a debut author, and Alison Richmond, who is a seasoned author that really draws on the respective authors, Black and Jewish histories. The story begins in 1863, New Orleans, and it weaves together a couple of intertwining stories. But one of those is that there is a woman who's effectively living as an enslaved woman, who embroiders simple things. Like I think the first thing she embroiders in the story is a violet for her beloved who she helps escape so he can leave the plantation they're on together in Louisiana where they fell in love and join the Louisiana Native Guards and fight for the Union Army. She embroiders him a handkerchief. It's a violet. But really it's a map that he can use to escape to safety. And that is a theme that we see pop up again and again in the story. And you would said in your submission how the cartographers gave you a a new respect for and interest in maps. And I just love that really fun connection. Does that interest you, a Civil War narrative with the embroidered map element?
1: Absolutely. Like that piece of detail sounds so intriguing to me that I I just want to figure out more. What is going on there? That's pretty cool. And I can't say that a Civil War
0: narrative is anything I've ever read before. But like, I'm interested. Like, let's go there. We could keep going, but we're going to stop there. But seriously, listeners, I know you have some spooky New Orleans books for Caitlin. There are some great fantasy series that are based in New Orleans. So bring those to our comment section at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com. Caitlin, we covered a lot of ground today. At the end of the day, the books we talked about, The Pelican Brief by John Grisham and November Road by Lou Burney. Those are our mysteries. We talked about The Road to Roswell by Connie Willis. That's our sci-fi. Oh, we talked about Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward. That's our literary. And Out of the Easy by Ruta Apetis And The Thread Collectors by Shauna J. Edwards and Allison Richmond. Those are our historical titles. Of those books, what do you think you'll read next? How did I get so
1: lucky to get more than three picks? (laughs) Um, Well, you haven't made this easy because there, I honestly, I want to dive into them all and I will be diving into them all. Gosh. I think if I had to say either the Pelican Brief or the Road to Roswell. Yeah, so the the alien, the little tumbleweed-shaped alien. in The, the road little tumbleweed! It just sounds so fun, and I think that would be such a good gateway to sci-fi for me. And I am just absolutely sold by the 90s New Orleans feel of the Pelican Brief, and I saw that movie a while back when I was on a 90s thriller kick. I don't remember any of it, so I do think it would be probably a good idea for me to go lean into that book now. But honestly, with all of these titles, I imagine they're all going to go in my, my shopping cart. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> well, that sounds great to me.
0: Thanks for talking books with me today. Thank you so much,
1: Anne. This was such a privilege. I had so much fun.
0: Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Caitlin, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. Find Caitlin on Instagram. We've included that link in our show notes as well as the full list of titles we talked about today. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com. That's where you can leave your favorite New Orleans rec for Caitlin. We love seeing the books you've read because you learned about them on our show. Be sure to tag our show's Instagram account. That's at whatshouldireadnext. When you share a post or story about your recent reads, we would love to see. You can follow me on Instagram too. I'm there at Ann Vogel. That is Anne with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. If you enjoy tuning in each week, help spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or starring your favorite episode in Overcast. That's my favorite podcast app. Your reviews are a love language and they really do help our community of readers and podcast listeners grow. Sign up for our weekly email with updates on the show and everything else that's happening in the world of what should I read next. You can sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Thank you to the people who make the show happen each week. What Should I Read Next is created by Will Bogle, Holly Wokachewski, and Studio D Podcast Productions. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Roca said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.